What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Charlie Gaudet. For small business owners, you know, with uh, conservative budgets, we need to know if we're going to spend a dollar on this medium, you know, is this going to yield a return? This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview rocket scientists, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. If you like what you hear, we're also going to be releasing exclusive bonus materials like PDF checklists, reports, and presentations, but only for members of the collective. If you're interested in those, as of this recording, you can still join for free on the Ideation Collective website, which is iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. Also, before getting rolling, we want to invite you to consider helping the charity our founders started called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the United States and abroad. One of our foreign projects we're working on right now is helping to build an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru. To learn more about that, please come to the Child Rescue section on our website, iCollective.co slash Child Rescue. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Charlie, thanks for being on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So you're the founder of Predictable Profits. Uh, you've authored this book, The Predictable Profits Playbook. Uh, you're a business coach. Um, I uh, I especially like your blog, though. I feel like um, you're you're going in with specifics. And uh, do you want to talk a little bit about um, gathering an audience as, as you start off here? Um, you know, going in with specifics and and creating a value magnet to to bring people into your to your fold. Sure. Well, what what specific question would you like me to address on that one? And I can take it from there. Well, you know, obviously when you and I were talking, you're talking about different um, direct marketing tactics and, and people you've learned from and, and lessons that actually create results. And I think so many of us get told we need to be doing social media or we need to be having a blog. Um, but maybe we can get wrapped up in outputting content instead of specific actionable content. And it seems like, you know, the, the stuff you put up has specifics instead of generalities. Well, uh, there's, um, thank you for the, uh, for recognizing that. I, I do appreciate it. You know, one of the interesting things that we found is that back in 2010, uh, the nature of consumers changed radically forever uh, in the history of the world. It will never go back to the way that it was. And, and that is in, in 2010, consumers had access to information that was more available to them than ever before. I mean, it, the internet was around for uh, just over a decade prior to that, but when it became available uh, to people's cell phones and they got used to scanning items on the shelves and uh, asking their friends on social media and checking review sites and whatnot. I mean, we know that the average person right now checks almost 11 sources of information before they go on to buy something that back 
prior to 2010, corporations had all the power. So you could basically walk into a car dealership and you go to the salesman and you ask the salesperson for as much information on the car as possible. Now with the new consumer, the new consumer oftentimes knows more information about the product than the salesperson itself. So the reason for my blog and the reason why we, why I, I suggest and recommend to all my clients that you want to put content out there is because if you know that your consumers are looking for information, it's up to you to find out what type of information are they looking for and become that trusted advisor, become that leading expert, that leading expert, that, um, that obvious choice, that the, uh, the authority in your space so that they come to you when they look for answers. And then that starts to automatically position you as a solution to the problem that they have and ultimately helps you to, to grow your business. Yeah. And so, the, the, you know, the funny thing about creating content and whatnot is a lot of people sit there and they fill their bucket full of letters and they just kind of splash it up on the wall and they're like, there I go, I'm, I'm creating content. You know, but you don't go to the ocean and put a worm on the end of your fishing pole and, you know, sit on the end of the dock and expect to catch a whale. <laughs> you really have to know what do you want to catch? What's the bait that's going to attract what it is that you want to catch? And where do you go that's going to give you the highest probability of getting success? Yeah. And so when you, that's part of the content strategy. No, I, I totally agree. I think, um, you know, one of our other guests, Amy Stellhorn, she, she runs a marketing agency out in the Bay Area called Big Monocle. She's always talking about go to the watering hole where they are already, you know, like <laughs> no, knowing where they are. <laughs> is a huge start, right? Rather right. than just shotgunning out into the atmosphere. Sure, absolutely. When you think about, um, you know, entrepreneur who might be listening today, who's who they want to grow their business or they want to optimize, um, th thinking about tools or thinking about resources to help them maybe take a, a harder look at, are we just blasting stuff out or, or could we be targeting better? Um, are there methodologies? Are there web tools? Are there, uh, you know, mindsets that you feel like are helpful in, in becoming more specific on where people are fishing? You know, the funny thing is, is one of the common mistakes that I often see entrepreneurs make when I talk to them is uh, they tend to fall in the trap that they are their consumer. So we'll hear things like, oh, everybody always does things this way or, oh, this is the way it always has to be because this is this and this and that. But then once we start really drilling down and tracking the results, we more often than not find a different conclusion. I had a mentor uh, of mine. Uh, this was a gentleman who apprenticed uh, under Dr. W. Edwards Deming, who for those of you who uh, don't know who Edwards Deming is, he was known as one of the nine turning points in world history. He's a guy who revolutionized the auto industry of Japan and was one of the forefathers of the TQM movement. Guy's responsible for generating billions and billions of dollars inside of, of corporations. And so Deming operated under the auspices of numbers. You need to know the numbers. And so I worked on, a, on several different projects with a mentor of mine, and he would come to me and say, hey, Charlie, what is the results of this? And I'd go on and I'd tell him, you know, oh, here's, this, is, this is what's working. And he says, well, can you show me the data? 
And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, I can tell you, obviously, it's because of such and such, or clearly, it's because of such and such. And the first time he reminded me, the second time he reminded me, over time, his face would turn beet red, and he would shake, and he would yell at me, and he'd go, Charlie, there are reasons, and there are results. The only things that matter are the results. And so... What that ended up doing after mentoring with him with, with enough time is I was afraid to go back to him unless I had concrete data. So there are reasons and there are results. The only thing that matter are the results. And when you focus your business on what's working, not by your gut, not by what you think it is or what you might think it might be, you know, when you focus on the actual results, then you can get conclusive evidence. I mean, if I said to you, a lot of people, you know, they'll spend money on advertising. The biggest problem is they spend all this money on advertising and they don't know what works or what doesn't work. And so, you know, I'm, I'm over here in, uh, in New England. And so, you know, the Red Sox play of Faneuil Hall and they have the big Goodyear blimp that, that goes over uh, Faneuil Hall. And there are so many people out there that are like, yay, look at how brilliant that is. They have a Goodyear blimp. And, you know, thousands and millions of people are seeing this Goodyear blimp and, oh, my God, they're brilliant. Give them an award. Give them an award. That's awesome. And meanwhile, I'm sitting there going, do you know if that's sold anything? Has one tire been sold because somebody saw a blimp? You see people on their cell phones going, oh, my God, look at that blimp. I'm going to go ahead and buy a tire right now. I mean, we don't know that. And so as a small business owner, if you're going to spend any money on marketing, whether it's print advertising or, or social media advertising or, um, or Internet, whatever it might be, you want to know for every dollar you put into it, what is the return going to be? You know, similarly, we have this phrase in our company. We call it our ROT. What is the return on time? So everything's looking, you know, how can we get the most out of every calorie that we spend, every dollar that's uh, invested and so forth? Because, you know, Jess, you and I, we, we only have 24 hours in the day. I mean, we're, that's, that's the one thing that you and I have in common with everybody in the world. We have 24 hours in a day. And if you're a real, you know, a ball buster or whatnot, then you might work 12 hours a day. And, uh, you know, if you're lucky enough, you can work, you know, seven days a week. But then there's those people who, with every hour, just by working smarter instead of hour, can take one hour and figure out how to squeeze 40 hours out of just working one hour in that day. Well, and I, I'm glad that you brought up data. You know, um, there's people constantly talking about analytics and most most people um, have analytics of some sort, whether it's just a basic Google Analytics hooked up or something. Um, and maybe they use it a bit, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't have a regular schedule for checking it. Um, but to begin with, for you, like whether it's an email campaign or some anything else, what are some of your weapons of choice for, for tracking? Are you an Infusionsoft guy? Are you, what, what's your... What are your weapons of choice? I love Infusionsoft. Uh, Infusionsoft is uh, my top tool. Uh, I also use Google Analytics, which is free. Uh, and uh, there's a tool which makes our lives a little bit easier called Graphly. It's sort of a plugin that goes in with Google Analytics. And that right now is what I'm using in addition to uh, sometimes we need to actually do some manual calculations and we break that out into uh, Google Spreadsheets. But, you know, I'll tell you, I was in a seminar back in, I want to say 2010 or whatnot, 
And the gentleman on stage was trying to make a point about how important the metrics are. And he says, you know what, everybody, everybody get up, get on your feet. He says, okay, so I want you to remain standing if you track any metrics whatsoever. So a bunch of the people sat down and there was still some people standing. And he goes, okay, all right, all right. Now, if you track your metrics, say, once, at least once a month, remain standing. If you track your metrics at least once a week, remain standing. If you track your metrics at least once a day, I want you to remain standing. Now, at this point, there might have been at best maybe two to four percent of the entire audience remaining standing. And so he says, all right, I want everybody to look around now, okay? Look around at the people who are standing here. If you are making more than, I forget what the number is, it was like uh, 100000 a month or something like that. If you're making more than $100,000 a month, I want you to stand up. If not, sit down. And of all the people that were standing up because they were tracking their metrics daily, I think only a couple of them sat down. The rest remained standing. And uh, I don't recall anybody else in the audience standing up. And he says, do you see the point here? The amount of money that you make is proportionate to the uh, how well you're able to track it and how frequently you track it. Like a pilot has their dashboard of dials to know when they're going in the right direction and when they fall off. And so that really hit home with me. And I'm going, you know, because like well, every a visual example, right, where you're physically there and it's it's like you see it in person last, right? Sure. I mean, look, I mean, you and I, I mean, I know you're, uh, you have a, a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous charity and, you know, we're, we're both philanthropic uh, individuals, but we don't run our business for, for free. We expect to, to, to make a handsome return so that we can do things with the money that we make. And so when you're sitting in the audience and you're hungry for more money and you're looking around and, you know, Tony Robbins told me successfully clues. Well, there's the biggest clue that ever could slap you in the face. I mean, the people who are standing are the ones that track their metrics daily. So, you know, that idea, here you go. Well, and it's this idea of you can't measure, you can't manage what you're not measuring. Right. You know, um, it's, it's interesting how much falls apart in management (laughs) when we just say, I'm sure they're doing okay. Versus like the nature of knowing that a report will be submitted, the nature of knowing something will be tracked has like an incredible effect on humans, even though psychologically we would think, no, no, I'll be fine. Like even tracking ourselves, you know, whether you're in sales or something like this, right? (laughs) If you work for the kind of boss that doesn't check on your numbers versus you work for the kind of boss that does, your ability to kid yourself about whether you're doing okay or not, (laughs) like our our ability for self-justification or self-rationalization in my experience, this is the this is the the guilty voice of experience here. Mine climbs way up when I know nobody but me knows if I didn't do it right. Right. And um, and you look at I mean look at all these um, food apps. You know I I was at this great innovation conference um, up at Park City called Thin Air. They had the CEO of uh, Under Armour talking about kind of their side door approach of taking on Nike instead of better rubber on their shoes or whatever. It was. Um, doing a roll-up of a bunch of the fitness communities that they bought these apps and this stuff, right? And Mm. they're trying to have a deeper relationship with their customers instead of just trying to sell more shirts. And uh, they've got these apps where people are just writing down everything they're eating, right? And it's turned... It's turned Under Armour into like the number one source in the world of knowing what the human population is eating on a daily basis. 
But there's this other principle of when people will just write down how much they're eating, they don't have to go on a diet, but their their uh, weight goals start getting met purely by the nature of tracking what they're eating and acknowledging it without even setting the goal or or disciplining themselves. It's like the you know those apps like mint.com when people actually see where their money is going their their finances get better without sure. even having a budget like just actually watching did i did i mean for that <laughs> recurring subscription to still be coming out or you know you get right I, I think the best analogy i've heard yet though is the one that you just brought up of the flight um toggles you know the the flight equipment for a pilot of sure that that constant feedback um how much better of a you know how much better decisions can you make with better information right absolutely absolutely um so uh you obviously have a very um direct background in direct marketing um can you talk to us for for those people who don't you know maybe they don't know about the the greats out there like Dan Kennedy or these types. Can you talk about some of the principles that are maybe different than what they see on, on the regular business media about getting more Facebook likes? What's different about direct marketing methodology? Uh, well, the, the quick and dirty on it is that everything can be tracked, right? So you're always looking for an immediate response that will tell you what's working and what's not working. Yeah, You know, I think the, the biggest difference was I was giving a keynote presentation and there was uh, the former CMO of uh, one of the uh, largest motorcycle companies in the world. Uh, that was standing up there, and he was talking about look at how look at how brilliant my advertising magazine the advertising uh, was for this magazine, and we won an award here, and look how brilliant we were over here, and how creative this was, and I'm sitting there rubbing my head, going, oh god, these people are gonna hate me because now I have to follow up on stage telling people this guy doesn't know whether or not any one of those ads actually sold another motorcycle. They don't know that. They Maybe it was epic. Know it. Maybe it sold tons of motorcycles, but you have no idea. And so how do you know what to double down on? And right? Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, I think that there's definitely a nice little mix when you can uh, influence perceptions by way of brand advertising, um, but also the importance of knowing what's working and what's not working. Look, you know, for a bigger company, if you're looking at uh, Coca-Cola or Apple or any one of these huge companies, right? They've got huge marketing budgets. So, you know, they can they can waste a little money, so to speak, on some mass campaigns. But for small business owners, you know, with uh, conservative budgets, we need to know if we're going to spend a dollar at, on this medium, you know, is this going to yield a return? And if it yields a return of say for every dollar I spend, then it brings in a dollar 10. Then the question we start to ask ourselves and, and our clients is, you know, can we turn that dollar 10 into a dollar 20, maybe a dollar 50, maybe $2, $5, what, whatever. And so, I mean, Jess, let me ask you, if you found out right now that for every dollar that you were spending, you are getting $2 back, how much money would you invest in that particular media? <laughs> uh, a pretty good amount. 
endless, right? Write a blank check. It doesn't matter. You you just want to put as many resources as possible because you know that you're getting a return. But yet most people will sit there and they'll write a check every month or they'll put on their credit card for advertising. And yet they don't know if it's working or not working. But imagine how much money they could be missing out on if they were actually making a two to one return and they just didn't know. Yeah, you can see how people get ahead faster when they, instead of having to guess what's working when they know what's working, right? Right, right. Um, so uh, I'm just interested um, when you, you know, the little bit of I know about the direct marketing space, um, it seems like a lot of people spend a lot of time really getting into the psychology of words and word choice and um, these kind of things. Is that something you have, have dived into as much or what, what's kind of been your focus as you've you know, worked to uh, gain mastery in that space? I do uh, take a lot of pride in the in the words that we write. I mean, just with the words alone, we've made millions of dollars. And the difference between uh, one headline and another headline could be a difference of 400%, maybe more. Uh, it could be the difference between a marketing campaign working and not working. I mean, you know, we talked about earlier about working smarter, not harder, right? There's so many different facets of growing a business and every different facet has got an element of leverage. And so salespeople, you know, they have only so much leverage because if I'm trying to sell you, I can only have one conversation at a time. At best, maybe I'm like a super rock star and I can squeeze in eight real detailed sales conversations over the course of a day. And that's just at best if, I, if I'm a, a huge rock star. Um, but with marketing, I can create one compelling, persuasive, engaging sales message and I can reach hundreds of thousands of people over a course of 24 hours. And so if I, if you're going to sit there and put a message out to hundreds of thousands of targeted, interested prospects in, to your business, you want to make sure you're putting out the right message and you're attracting the right people and that those people are taking action. So Jay Abraham uh, Jay Abraham, which is uh, one of uh, my, my marketing mentors, he says that if you have a product or a service that you know will transform, will enhance, will better somebody's life or some company or whatnot, you have a moral and ethical obligation to do whatever it is in your power to get it into their hands. And so part of taking that responsibility of an entrepreneur and again, focusing on the results and the optimization or whatnot is making sure are my words having the biggest impact possible. Sure. Um, it is interesting. You talk about headlines, you know, there, there's such a gate, right? Like you can, the rest of your company, the rest of your email, the rest of your marketing can be so good. But if somebody won't click on the dead, on the headline, <laughs> they're never going to find out, you know, we, uh, we ended up doing a bunch, redoing a bunch of the headlines of this show, um, right when we first launched and, uh, just feedback on the team, people felt like they were like, basically they were, they were hitting me up and saying, Hey, Jess, your headlines aren't good enough. <laughs> let's, let's really <laughs> rethink these and, and try to put more effort into it. And it's, it's something we're actively working on for sure of, you know, we do these long form interviews where we try to spend enough time that people can really get the guts instead of just the sound bites. But you know, if it doesn't sound interesting enough, people don't start it in the first place, right? Sure. Let alone right. listen to it all the way on the commute to work and all the way on the commute home to get through the whole hour or 45 minutes or whatever it is. Right. Um, 
So um, one of the other things I wanted to talk about is, um, well, l- let's go over a couple of the questions we always like to ask. Yes. Uh, but obviously there's the pred- predictable profits playbook, but what other books do you think innovators should be reading these days? What are your book recommendations? Uh, I like uh, both of the books by Jay Abraham, um, getting everything you can out of all you, out of all you've got. Uh, and then the sticking point solution. I think those are, are two great books. Uh, everything what is it about them that you like, uh, you know, they, they do follow a lot of the methodologies that we follow over here at predictable profits. You know, everything is very results driven. Um, it's all largely focused on, um, you know, why companies get stuck and, and what you can do to, to break out of uh, that holding pattern and, and grow your companies and grow your business. Uh, so, you know, that's why, uh, that's why I like those books. Uh, Seth Godin and anything uh, that Seth Godin writes, I, I appreciate because, you know, Seth has got this, this mindset in this, uh, this attitude of always either making yourself better as, a, as an individual or serving your customer or client to the highest level. I mean, that's why, you know, he created uh, the book on tribes, which is just really how to go ahead and create a raving fan base. Now, I'm not a fan of uh, gimmicky marketing tricks, shiny pennies, or anything that just gets customers in the front door if you have no intention of truly serving them at, at the highest level. Um, and, I, and I think that Seth Godin does a, a really good job uh, with that. Um, then, you know, there's, of course, some of the classic scientist, scientific uh, advertising. You know, that really is one of the... Um, tell, tell us one about of, that one. That, that, that's, you know, we talked a lot about direct response advertising. And so scientific advertising... Uh, is really how to put a scientific spin on uh, on marketing. And it's funny, earlier on in the show, you said, you talked about the difference between generalities and specifics. And that's one of the things that he talks about in his book. He says, you know, generalities are like water that rolls off the back of a duck versus specifics is what sells. That's the difference between you and I sitting here and, and saying that, um, you know, I can grow a company versus saying, I can grow a company 35% within six months. One sounds more appealing than the other. One is just more general. The other one is, is very specific. Um, so, uh, so I'm definitely a, a fan of that one. And um, I'm sure I've got about a million and a half different ones. I like, um, uh, 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 what is it called? Uh, Outrageous Advertising by Bill Glazer. Uh, I think that's... I don't know this one. Tell me about it. Uh, uh, it. It just gives you really clever, different, unique advertising ideas. Uh, this is particularly fantastic for the small business owner. Um, so I have, uh, I've definitely, uh, appreciated that one and, um, made to stick. That's, uh, chipping down Heath. Yep. That, that's, uh, that's a classic. Um, of course, uh, I've, I'll come up with more, but, uh, that's, uh, that's where I'll sit right there. <laughs> um, that's great. I, uh, I don't know, I guess I'm a book nerd. So I always like hearing about more books, but, um, <laughs> When you think about um, someone who set an example for you, either early in your life or early in your career, of, of how to treat others, is there any experience that stands out to you or, or maybe just something about that person that you want to emulate? 
Well, so uh, my professional role model is Richard Branson. And, uh, yeah, some people say, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, he, that's cool. He's your professional role model. And, and then when they realize, no, I, you know, I, uh, I'm serious, serious enough that I named my son Branson, then they start to realize, oh, you're not kidding. Yeah, he really is your professional role, uh, role model. And, you know, being in a, uh, a passionate, some may call me intense or obsessive entrepreneur, um, one of the things that I loved about Branson, you know, if you look at a contrast, you've got Donald Trump, right? Donald Trump writes this book, Art of the Deal. And, you know, regardless of where he is politically, you know, he's he's just telling everybody about how smart he is, right? I'm so mm-hmm. smart I did this. I'm so smart I did this. I'm the best at this. And and so Richard Branson, though, he took a little bit of a different response. And, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, but Richard Branson, basically what I took out of his story is saying, look, the only reason why I'm a billionaire and most people aren't it is just because... I was, well, I guess you could say dumb enough to get punched in the face enough times and just keep standing up. I'd fall down and keep standing up and fall down and keep standing up. And just that ongoing persistence and that unwavering commitment to a goal is what allowed him to become that billionaire. And I read an article uh, recently where he says, look, you know, I think he's running somewhere around 400 companies right now. And you would think that having a net worth of multiple billion dollars, having uh, hundreds of companies under his belt that right now that he had pretty much have figured out what works and what doesn't work. But he'll be the first one to say, I still fail every single day. And, and that's okay. And, and, and I really admire that about him because, you know, when you start off as an entrepreneur, you know, a lot of you, you read the stories and you pick up the books and you watch on TV and whatnot. And, you know, what tends to stick out are these glory stories, right? This high school kids making $30 million, this, uh, you know, this whiz kid se- selling 50,000 units a day, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And you're sitting there behind your computer struggling stressed out, feeling stuck, you know, and a bit impatient that you're not getting the results that that you want or believe that you could be getting. And that can tend to feel somewhat lonely at times. And so when you read a story about a guy like Richard Branson and you realize, wait a minute, that sounds like me. It's sort of um, it's inspirational in many ways. And actually, another book, mind you, and this would be my number one book, would be Richard Branson's autobiography, which is appropriate titled Losing My Virginity. <laughs> so I'm so uh, glad you brought up Branson. I, I went on a tear through his books last year. Screw it, let's do it. Losing My Virginity. Uh, and, his, and like, I think what I love that guy is, you know, with my self-diagnosed ADD, uh, I, I always want to do a bunch of stuff and everybody's telling me, oh no, Jess, you need to focus. You can only <laughs> do one thing in life and you just need to pick what it is and you need to be okay with the fact that you don't get to do anything else. And I'm like, but... Richard Branson and Leonardo da Vinci and all these people didn't, you know? And so for me, it's like, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm going to let you argue with Richard Branson. And sure, he had to shut down 200 of the 500 companies he started. And and there's 300 left out of the 500, you know, at some some given point. But um, the point is um, there's a humility. And one of the things I think is super fascinating about him is just his 
deep, deep commitment to making sure the customer likes it. You know, this idea of like his marketing is if you loved your experience with us, you're going to talk about it. And so we are going to be obsessive about making sure we're, we've got the kind of experience you're going to love. Um, right. It is like a level of service of uh, it's not quite so me focused, like maybe some of the other stats that business people like to talk about of my churn rate and my, you know, these things that, that, kind of lead us to think about customers and clients as, you know, a, a sell on an Excel spreadsheet. Um, he does have a very humanizing, personable connection with with these clients when he's when he's getting on the flights going back and forth and he talks about how he's always flying on his own. He, he's flying on Virgin Airlines so he can hear what people are complaining about. You know, not so many CEOs are doing that, right? Sure. Um, Anyways, you know, well, another example um, of exactly what you're talking about right there is, you know, look, I, I know you are in the, the VC world and whatnot. If uh, uh, Tony Shea knocked on your door and he's like, hey, you know, Jess, I've got this great idea for you. Uh, I'm going to start this shoe store in this highly saturated, highly commoditized marketplace. I'm going to do it online. I am not going to discount my shoes. I'm going to give people free returns, free shipping, and 365-day guarantee. Now, my guess is that you'd look at this guy and go, how the heck did he make it into my office? Get out. Because that just sounds crazy. But what he did is realize that in this highly commoditized space, the one gap that wasn't being filled was somebody who truly valued the customer. And so he dedicated himself to creating not just like good customer service, but what he calls wow customer service. And so that's why somebody will go to Zappos. And you know what? A Nike is a Nike is a Nike no matter where you get it. You can buy it cheaper down the road. But somebody will go to Zappos and will pay a slight premium price to do work, to, to buy shoes from Zappos because the experience is that much better. You know, a lot of people... And this is very common with entrepreneurs that they feel like, oh, the re one of the reasons why I'm not making as much money or generating as much sales as I feel like I should be generating right now might be because my price is so high. And so if it's B2B, they're negotiating their contracts. If it's uh, B2C, they're having sales and discounts and coupons and all this other fun stuff. But you know, if if you're a mentor once said to me that if you're if you're giving your consumers price is the only reason why they're doing business with you, then we don't need somebody as good as you. And I stopped. And I thought about it. I'm like, what do you mean? And it because it's all about you know creating that unique advantage. One of the things that we work with with our clients is. Uh, the question we ask is, what needs to happen for you to be the most expensive competitor in the industry and still have people lining up to do business with you? And so when they're asked that question, they stop and they think about it and they go, huh? And it's like, no, I want you to think about this for a second. Yeah. What has to happen in order for you to be the most expensive competitor in the industry and still have people lining up to do business with you? Well, and you think about, you know, People are selling, you can sell more than the thing, right? You know, the Seth Godin book, Free Prize Inside, right? Tony Shea is selling an experience in addition to the pair of shoes, like the fact that you might pay for five-day shipping, but get it tomorrow morning before you even leave for work, right? Right. Um, 
Okay. So thinking about uh, one of the other things we always ask guests is, you know, if they had advice for us, how we're trying to get more people to want to be a part of child rescue and preventing child sex trafficking or rescuing kids from it. Um, what advice would you have for us in our approach to, to make that something that more people want to be a part of? I would tap into the existing conversations that uh, that people are having, you know, around, uh, you know, I guess around around some issue, the issue, I guess. I mean, uh, tapping into conversations at uh, uh, DM Scott, um, I'm trying to remember his uh, full name, uh, but DM Scott has this uh, this phrase called newsjacking, right? Sure. And when they're, do you, are you familiar with what I'm talking yeah, yeah. about? Yep. You know, and so you tap into an existing conversation that's going uh, earlier. You and I talked about uh, momentum. So it's kind of like piggybacking off the momentum of an existing conversation to be able to get uh, more uh, awareness. Uh, you know, that being said, I was on the board of a, of a nonprofit too. And, um, I was actually being on the board of a nonprofit. A lot of uh, the other board members thought I was some sort of heathen um, because I stand up there and I'm looking at the way that that things are run. And so right there, I just said, hey, look, I I need everybody to understand one quick thing right here. I love money. Okay, I I love money. I would bathe myself in hundred dollar bills if I could. We have to understand where I come from. And they looked at me like, oh, my God, because so much of nonprofits is all about, you know, uh, being altruistic, just being so giving and so giving and so giving. And they don't look at a nonprofit like running a business. They don't look at tracking their numbers. They don't look at what's working, and what's not working. And one of the things that we that we looked at when it came to just raising money is that, you know, there are altruists and there are narcissists and everybody has got different needs and different wants. And so the biggest money comes from those that are the narcissists. And earlier in this conversation, again, we talked about knowing which fit, which which uh, pond to uh, to fish in and whatnot. <laughs> I'm just laughing at this end The the. Literally the last show we recorded, I don't know what order these will come out in. We don't always put them in exact order. Was um, Did you hear about last year when Mitt Romney fought Evander Holyfield for, at the charity event? I watched it and loved it. Okay. So the guy who put that on, CEO of, of Charity Vision, that's who the last show was. So hopefully, hopefully it'll come out around the same time as this one. We talked about Let, this. Let's make it look like he was copying me then. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Deal, deal. So um, – <laughs> We were just talking about this and, and, you know, I think about one of my mentors, um, he runs a business. He it's, it's a for-profit company, but he calls it a for-purpose company. And, um, you know, one of his main CPAs, uh, was, was in this big meeting and they were, you know, somebody was whining about something, whatever, and talking about, well, I don't know if we should be so money focused. And she's just like, listen, people, uh, no money, no message. (laughs) Like, you, you know, like, no, sorry, no money, no mission. Period. Like that's that's all we need to know. No money, no mission. So let's go ahead and make some money so we can fulfill this mission of this for-purpose company. And we're the only ones that really know that internally, right? We can make it publicly sound so good or we can make it – we can make it come across in this certain way. Only we know the real reasons we're doing stuff. But I tell you what, there's a lot of good intentions out there that are not being delivered on because there's not enough dollars to support them. Sure. Um, 
<laughs> well, you know, this... the tough thing about about being in a nonprofit is that, you know, you have competition and a lot of nonprofit um, owners don't realize they have competition and you're actually competing with every single nonprofit that exists everywhere, including colleges and high schools and you know, and the other things they could do with that money, right? The vacation they could go on or go into the movies or, right? Exactly. And so you then have, it's- You a, have to deliver a better feeling than they would get by going to the movies, you know? Amen, brother. Amen. That's okay. right. Um, well, uh, we appreciate all the time you've given us today. Any, any parting advice that you feel like, man, in my early days, I was doing this wrong and things have gone a lot better since I did it this way? Something like that. Well, uh, you know, I tell you that um, in my in my early days, you know, I went from a failed company to a few months later starting another company and finding myself in over a million dollars in debt, paying double digit interest rates uh, on that debt. Growing up as a kid, my dad always said the secret of success was working hard. So I'd set my alarm for three thirty in the morning, and I'd work every waking hour of every day because that's what I believed I had to do. So my primary strategy was working hard. And that worked. And I say that loosely and in quotes, you know, that worked as long as it could before the lack of sleep and the stress ended me up in the emergency room where the doctor ran some tests, sat me down on uh, on that little paper bench there and looked me in the eyes and said, hey, look, uh, your your body is sending you a sign. Uh, it can't continue like this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? The pain that you're feeling are symptoms of your body starting to shut down. There's this whatever condition it is, and um, it's starting to kill you. You're going to die if you continue like this. And I'm like, what? I remember driving home and, you know, staring at the the yellow line staring at the yellow line on the on the middle of the road as I'm driving by. And I'm thinking to myself, if the only way that I knew how to make any money was working hard, then what can I do? Because I can't continue this way. And then it was like one of those light dawns on Marblehead moments. Well, if I can't work any harder, then I must find a way to work smarter. And the simple mindset shift of working smarter, and what, like we talked about in the, earlier in the show, you know, how can you get 40 hours out of every hour that you, that you work? How can you get $2 out of every dollar that you spend? That little mindset shift allowed me to go from being in over a million dollars in debt to creating my first multi-million dollar company within a year. And so if there's just one thing that I want to leave people with, you know, hope is not a strategy. Working hard is not a strategy, but working smarter can form strategies that can get you where you need to be. Great. Love it. Well, Appreciate the time and uh, and thanks for the uh, thanks for the advice. Always a pleasure, my friend. And that's the show. Thanks for listening today. Again, if you're interested in the bonus materials that we will be producing, make sure to come to our website and join the Ideation Collective while it's still free. The website iCollective.co/free. Again, iCollective.co/free. And as always, if you want to learn more about getting involved in helping the team rescue kids from traffickers please visit iCollective.co slash child rescue. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. 
All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara, cold-cut combo, veggie delight, or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.